Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. I'm your host, Celine Chenoy. Thank you to all of you who return every week to tune in to become a better version of yourself. Make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already, and rate our show if you enjoyed this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. I'm your host, Celine Chenoy. Thank you to all of you who return every week to tune in to become a better version of yourself. Make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already and rate our show if you enjoyed this episode. Almost all of us have experienced losses or unexpected life changes that are so big you don't think you'll survive them. And if you do, you'll never be the same. Things like divorce, accidents, losing a job, or grieving the death of a loved one. Whatever it was for you, it was a moment when your world stopped. My guest Chris Carr believes that even the worst upheavals can reveal the path to our next chapter of fully alive living. She's here to share her insights based on her story of transformation through pain. Chris Carr is a New York Times bestselling author and a 20-year-old cancer thriver. Chris teaches people how to take back their health and live like they mean it. She's been called a force for nature by O Magazine and was named a new role model by the New York Times. Chris is also a member of Oprah's Super Soul 100, recognizing the most influential thought leaders today. Her work has also been featured in Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, Glamour, The Today Show, Super Soul Sunday, OWN, and The Oprah Winfrey Show. Today, Chris will share her ideas and practices to help you navigate those times when we go through challenging transitions. She'll reveal how we can find deeper meaning and purpose in whatever chapter comes next in life and use that as a catalyst in our transformation. Hi, Chris. How are you doing today? I am so well. I'm so happy to be here with you. Well, I'm so happy to have you on the show. I've been following your work for so many years now, and I have to say that you are so inspiring and genuine, and I truly appreciate you making the time to be here with us. Oh, thank you. I, I can't think of a better place to be. Okay, so Chris, today we're going to be discussing your new book, I'm Not a Morning Person, and that's morning as in grieving, not the morning that we all wake up to. And I have to say that this book is different from the other books that you've written before, which are more focused on wellness. And it's actually a book about handling difficult life events based on your own personal experiences of handling grief. So, what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, you know, you learn more about your book after it's published. So you write your book and then you promote your book and you continue to learn more about your book. Like you learn more about yourself with each and every day. And what I have actually learned more about the reason why I have written this book is because actually I've been writing about wellness, as you say, for 20 years um, and this is a big part of wellness. Our mental health and our physical well-being are one and the same. They're connected. 
But if we look back at how this started for me, you know, I've been living with stage four cancer for 20 years now. And my first experience writing books was for cancer patients. And then I was on Oprah and all of these things changed and more and more people were coming to me because they wanted to learn how to live a healthier lifestyle. And so I I wrote books that included a lot more people, people who are also interested in prevention. But at the core of what I do is handling difficult topics, whether it be navigating cancer or, you know, certain books of mine are all about plant-based living. So a lot of that has to do with the environment and our physical well-being and animal welfare and and here I am writing this book about grief and loss, and I feel like it's sort of coming around full circle and getting to, to the heart of many of the topics that I've already touched on. And what I uh, what inspired me was that I was in the middle of another what I call life rupture. You shared such a poignant account about losing your father to pancreatic cancer, which it was really, really touching to read. Um, and also how you cared for him for the four years before he passed. So yeah, tell us about that experience, Chris, and what was that like for you? And what did you learn about the grieving process? Yeah, so that's a great question as well. You know, going back to your original, which ties into this is when we go through these life ruptures, it's the moment where the rug gets pulled out from under us. It's where we feel as though life will never be the same and we're picking up the pieces and we don't know how to move forward. Um, that is really what this book is about is how to address that, how to take care of yourself through that time. Um, as you mentioned, I have a lot of stories in the book from my own experiences, whether it be living with stage four cancer you know, when I started writing this book, we were in the middle of a global pandemic. And there was a lot of us who were experiencing significant loss, even the loss of our former way of living, the loss of our jobs, um, our sense of security. And for me, it was also the impending loss of somebody that was very dear to me. And what I realized was I didn't have the tools and the resources to navigate these really big, heavy emotions that come with grief, not just grief. Um, my therapist has a great saying. She says, like, when the grief train pulls into the station, it brings all the cars, you know, even past hurts and traumas and wounds that you may think that you're over, um, but you're not. And those traumas and past wounds inform how you move forward. And so, Going to the heart of this book and this work and this story is really an opportunity for us to live a more full, vibrant life that we may not think of it because most of us don't even want to touch some of these topics life, like grief and some of the big emotions that accompany it, like shame, like guilt, like anger, and so forth. And all of this was coming up for me during this time. I was also approaching my 20-year anniversary of living with stage four cancer. So all of this is what motivated me to write the book. Mm. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. And that's quite a journey that you've you've been on, Chris. But I'd love to know about your specific experience of dealing with your father's passing. Can you please walk us through that and how you were able to cope with that? Well, I think like so many of us, when we're going through an impending loss and certainly after the loss, um, it's uh, it's a new place to be, right? We don't necessarily imagine life the way we now see it. And I think to go to the heart of your question, which is coping, um, 
one of the things that I talk about in the book is self-care and all of the practices that I had been practicing for quite some time, but in a different way and for different reasons. And I think when we're caregivers and when we are dealing with, we're navigating a lot of chaos and turmoil in our lives, of course, the first thing that goes out the window is self-care. And what one of the chapters is called self-care in the storm. And I talk about how important it is to fill your well, even in the smallest ways, because again, as caregivers, as people going through a very traumatic and chaos ridden time, it's easy for our energy to be depleted. And what I didn't realize was just how much this would take f- from me, this I, this experience of being very committed and dedicated to helping my father through this transition and all the things that I learned about myself and about him and the closeness that we got to in the end and beyond. I don't think I would have been able to do that if I hadn't been prioritizing feeling my well along the way, even in the smallest ways. Right. And you actually mentioned that there were certain things that you did to cope with your grief and loss. Can you please share some of the techniques that helped you? Well, first and foremost, we have to understand that we're actually going through grief and loss because I think, especially in the United States, we live in a very grief phobic, messy, emotions averse society. And so that means that we run from those emotions. We hustle harder. We try to control things. We, you know, numb out and, and all the ways that you can think of numbing out because many of us think that if we go near those emotions, they will take us down, right? We won't be able to survive them. We will drown in them. Life will never be the same. We won't get out of that place. And I think the point of the book is to say that that's not true. The way out is through. We will never be over certain things, but we can keep moving forward. And so the various coping mechanisms really depend on who you are. And there's many in the book that I share. But I think the first place to go is to start with the idea that it's okay to feel those feelings that it's natural and it's normal. Our feelings are information. That's all they are. And the more we learn about them, the more we're able to care for them. But it starts with that curiosity and that awareness of saying, yeah, I have some grief in my life. I'm struggling with loss in my life. And you can tell certain ways you can tell that you might be in that place is first and foremost, as I say this, your fear comes up, right? Because you're like, oh, no, 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 that's definitely not one of the places I want to go. So that right alone is an indicator that it's probably a place that you need to go, right? And you could go there with therapy. You can go there with counseling. You can go there with the support of your friends. I don't suggest that you go there alone, but the first place is to acknowledge that you might even need to. Mm -hmm. I love that you see that because my own experience of experiencing life rupture in my life what really helped me is, you know, getting therapy and having someone who to walk me through that, that pain that I was experiencing. I mean, what would you say is the first thing someone should do if they are in that space of grief? Like, what are the fir- the initial steps that they can take to really get out of that, that storm of emotions that they're experiencing? 
Well, I think you said it beautifully when it comes to that first step of, I mean, the first step is what I said, which is, you know, acknowledging that you're there and really drilling into that because again, I think many of us deny that. And so acknowledging that you're there and getting support, whether it be a therapist, a coach, you know, a loved one. I think also this is a time where everything needs to slow down. I don't know what that's going to look like for you, but I know what that looks like for me um, because grief and loss also have a lot of physical uh, symptoms that come with them, right? We have trouble with brain fog. We have trouble organizing our thoughts. We may be really exhausted and depleted. We may um, have no appetite. We may be absolutely ravenous. We may have significant sleep disruption, right? So trying to maintain the same sort of level of productive functioning life, depending on the nature of your rupture and the degree of your rupture may be difficult. So giving yourself that space and even lowering the bar on your standards of what you can and cannot do as you learn how to care for yourself through this time. Hmm. And you actually say that suppressing our grief is really harmful for the body, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because suppressing any of our emotions, I think that we can't amputate any of our emotions and expect to be whole. And I think emotions are like physics, right? There's a uh, an, an equal and opposite reaction for every action, right? And mm-hmm. so when we push something down, it often comes out in a different way. And mm-hmm. you and I both know the various ways that that can be, um, but it's usually not the healthiest path forward. And it's usually, uh, uh, it comes out in ways that create separation. So separation between you and you, separation between you and the people you love and so forth. Mm. And could you tell us a little bit about life ruptures? Like how, what would you classify as a life rupture? Life ruptures are what I call those moments where the shizzle hits the fan, right? When you feel like the rug has been pulled out from under you, as I said, it's the diagnosis, it's losing your job, it's being ghosted by a friend um, and you're devastated by it. It's a miscarriage. Um, it's the death of a loved one. It could be the death of a pet, right? That to you is your deepest connection to another being. But it's those moments that really wipe us out. And the thing about those moments are that they will happen to each and every one of us. None of us can avoid them. And they come in many different forms, big and small. And that's really hard. And I want to acknowledge that. Um, Because none of us want to experience life ruptures, but many of us are more familiar with running from pain than we are with uh, caring for those ruptures and caring for the results of those ruptures. And so I want to talk about some of the positive things that can happen from ruptures. I think they rearrange us. They rearrange our priorities. They may rearrange our values. They may bring our values into sharp uh, you know, focus in a way that they haven't in the past. And they may even resuscitate desires of ours, things that we thought, oh, that, that moment has passed. You know, There's no way I could do that now and so forth and so on because ruptures remind us of our mortality. 
And more of us have more days behind us than in front of us. And if that's the case, how do we want to live them? Our ruptures can be a barometer for how we want to live them. Our ruptures can wake us up to what we want this next chapter to look like. Right. I mean, that is if we process it in the right way, right? Yeah, if we're willing to process it, right? There, To me, there's yeah. no right way. But if we're okay. willing to go into that place of our emotions, our information, and the more curious we get about them, the more we learn about them, the more we learn to care for them. I mean, the more we, we realize, I think each and every one of us, our goal is wholeness. Our goal is to be whole and happy and joyful and to spread that wholeness and that happiness and joy with the people that we love while we have the opportunity to do it. Uh, and so mm. if we're blocking a certain part of that, we're blocking a certain opportunity. We're blocking the energy that we want to experience. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that we're not taught anything about grieving, really. We don't know. We're left to our own devices to find coping mechanisms or ways to deal with our pain. And instead, we're told to kind of bounce back as soon as possible and uh, just be happy again. Like, what do you think about that? Why do you think that this tr- this is this is happening? I think it's a really difficult emotion to experience. And if we just look at it from an evolutionary perspective, you know, we're wired to survive and survival often, um, survival for human beings and the animal kingdom is dependent on others, right? So if you even think about nature, you know, the lone wolves don't do so well. We are pack creatures. And so what are the things that keep us together? And if we think about it that way, it's easy to say, well, if I experience certain emotions, if I, you know, do certain certain things, if I behave in certain ways, then I am going to get expelled from the culture, expelled from the community because none of us want to experience those feelings, right? So, I think if we if we look at it that way and we also ponder the idea that we are wired to be negative, we're not wired to be positive. And that's also a part of our survival. What does that mean? We're wired to like worry. Like, is this berry going to be the thing that kills me? You know, like, do I go down that street? Should I run from that tiger? We are wired to worry. Right. And so um, when you you ask, why are we like that? I think we have to take that big step back because it's easy to be like, to, to just blame it, to be like, I don't know why we're like that. It's messed up, you know? So if we take that big step back. We can give ourselves compassion. Um, and the truth is, is that we're living in an epidemic of loneliness right now. And so why is that? You know, there's a lot of reasons we think about technology and social media and the lack of connection with people and the breakdown of culture and society and all of these things that we read about and experience. But I'd say another reason why we're lonely is because we're not telling the truth. Hmm. So when we're brave enough to tell the truth, what happens? Well, more often than not, another person that you're talking to might say, yes, I feel that way too. And what does that do? That brings us together in an authentic way, as opposed to a way that's like, you put up your shield, I put up mine. When you say tell the truth, what exactly do you mean by that, Chris? Well, how often do you, let me ask you this question. How often do you say you're great when you're not? Mm, Not as often as I used to. (laughs) Okay. 
<laughs> right. So, so what you're saying is just being delusional about what is really going on in your life and how you're feeling things. Well, not necessarily delusional, but probably more so fearful. Okay. Right? So if there's a time in your life, and, and I think most people have had this experience where, you know, somebody, you're trying to connect with somebody and ask you how you are and you say, I'm great, or you say, I'm fine, when underneath it, you're really not. Right. Mm. Now, of course, yeah. not everybody deserves to know how you are. Uh, exactly. Yeah. But um, for the people that you want in your life and the people that have value and meaning to you, I'm saying that it, we get closer with the truth, with real conversations of what's happening in our hearts. We get closer by sharing our hearts, mm-hmm. not by sharing our projections of who we want people to think we are. And so even starting from that place is really scary and it's very vulnerable. But I think it's a big game changer because it also gives somebody permission to share the truth of who they are and what they're going through so that the two of us can support each other. Hmm. And how can we prevent that from veering into the victim mentality? Because that is something that's quite prevalent right now. I mean, that's a good question. I think, you know, if I say I'm going through a hard time, that's not my, me being a victim, right? If I say, if you ask me how I am, so for example, I had a team meeting like about a, maybe a month and a half ago and we were at the beginning of the book launch and we were talking about things that I would be writing about. And one of the things that we were talking about was pet loss because there's a chapter in the book about pet loss because... I think many people, especially in the grief and loss community, devalue that. And so um, as if it's not as worthy, I'm not about compare, doing any kind of comparison. I think it's a, it's a trap. Um, but so as we were talking about what we were writing about, I started to well up and I took a moment and I said, hang on a second. I just need to be, this is a, uh, this is really coming up for me. I feel so sad right now because I had just lost one of my dogs, you know, and here I am oh, in yeah. book launch. That's, that's going painful. Through a, I've experienced that too. Yeah. You're going through another loss. Mm. So I took that moment and instead of saying everything's fine or, you know, shoving it down. And obviously I, I own my business. I said the culture we live in, a, we have a culture of connection. Um, my team and I, me sharing that I was, upset. And then I was welling, you know, allowing myself to well up. And then as the team members poured on to me, you know, I started to cry and I didn't apologize for crying. I said, thank you for letting me share that emotion and that experience. Right. So that's very different from a victim mentality. And I think it's, we have to be careful not to assume that you know, if we're sharing something that's difficult, we're not putting on our best face and, you know, our strongest self that people will think we're victims. Now, there's a lot of other things that can go down too. So, right, when people, let's talk about how other people may perceive you. So there's a chapter in the book called Awkward Times and Awkward People. And it's the things that we unintentionally do or say because we actually don't know how to navigate grief and loss ourselves. So we say things, I think you, you brought up a couple of examples, like just get over it, right? It's been 
X number of months, weeks, years. Why aren't you past this already? Already, Or you're young, you'll have another child. Or there's other fish in the sea, right? These are well-meaning things that we say because we want our friend or our, our loved one to feel better, but it, it doesn't help them feel better in any way, shape, or form. So the more we learn about this, I think not only are we able to like not take what people say to us personally, because we can see that they actually just don't know how to traverse this territory. But then we're also able to be more thoughtful about how we talk to other people. You know, perhaps we won't center ourselves in the conversation. Oh, this happened to you. Well, here's what happened to me. Or maybe we won't ghost them, disappear because we're so afraid to get it wrong. So what do we do instead? We vanish. So what do you suggest? Do you do you think that just holding space for them would be the best way to help them? I think it's uh, a beautiful moment? suggestion. Absolutely. I think, honestly, it's not our job to fix things. That's our job to be present. It's our job to listen and to be loving. That's our job. Um, but it's not to offer unsolicited advice. You know, I'm the queen of that. Let me just say right now, because I'm a coach. So the first thing I'm going to do is try to coach you up. And sometimes it's the last thing that's ever wanted. You know, my husband and I will go to a party and then all of a sudden I was coaching people and he's like, nobody wanted you to coach them. You know, nobody's paying you for your advice today. And it's interesting because that's my first response because I want somebody to feel better. And I think I have the answers. So in those moments, if you are that person, um, you could say, hey, do you want to brainstorm? Or do you just want me to listen? And maybe that person does want you to brainstorm. Oh, that's a good suggestion. You know, but yeah. but if they don't, don't um, don't hijack the conversation with your ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it is kind of awkward. I know for me, and when you're with somebody who's been through a very devastating loss, it's just what do you say to them to make, help them feel better? You know, and sometimes you feel that pressure to say something to do something, but really you can't you can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that because I think the key is what you said is to make them feel better. Yeah, And the most important thing to understand is that you can't, you don't have that power. And so to your point, what do you, what can you offer? Love. Like when in Mm. doubt, love will always lead you the right way. I don't know what to say. I am so sorry you're going through this. I have no tools. I'm afraid to get this wrong, but gosh, I love you and I'm here for you. Mm. That's amazing. That's medicine. That's, that's medicine That right there. Yeah. So Chris, going back to self-care and how we can really tend to ourselves when we go through these life ruptures, you actually created a framework called the five pillars of well- wellness to support our well-being. Uh, can you please give us a brief overview of these pillars? Yeah. So the pillars are being mindful of what you're eating, what you're drinking, what you're thinking, and how you're resting and renewing. And so all of these pillars sit on a foundation of stress management because stress is really the number one killer, right? And so, but the the key word is mindful. It's not about being perfect. It's not about optimizing. It's not about full makeover in your most difficult time. Um, It's about saying each and every day, how can I take a thimble size amount of self-care and add it to my well? 
And if I look at these pillars, they're they're pretty obvious. So eating, you know, every, everybody practices a different diet. Everybody says what the best one is and, you know, everybody fights with each other. And so I like to just come to the basics, like we can all agree on vegetables, right? So I practice an anti-inflammatory, predominantly plant-based diet. And so looking at your plate and saying, am, am I eating real food? Am I eating whole foods? Am I eating healthy foods? More often than not, great. Am I hydrating? Am I, you know, even if I don't feel like, you know, doing any of the things that Chris is suggesting, can I just drink enough water? Because if I don't drink water, guess what? I'm going to have no energy. Um, and right. then there's a lot of the other things that happen to our bowels and our immune system and all that kind of stuff. Can I be mindful about, so if we go to the thinking pillar, can I be thoughtful about my stress management? Um, can I take those breaks when I need them? Can I reach out to a friend? What can I do to support my mental health right now, right? Can I move my body, you know, even if it's 10 minutes a day? Because sometimes when we find ourselves in a place of rumination, so we're stuck in fear, we're stuck in anxiety. Anxiety is a worry about the future, about what could happen. Well, when you're going through a life rupture, what are you worried about? The future, right? So we are having, we're living in this out-of-body experience. Well, what brings us back to the body? Just getting, changing the environment, changing your physical state. So moving. One of the best ways to handle stress is through movement. Right? So I'm looking at the pillars and saying, can I feed them just a bit? Right? I don't have to have the, my, my standards so high that they're yeah. impossible. Yeah, because it can be overwhelming, them. right? In that moment when you're, when you're really experiencing those emotions, uh, because you need to have structure and discipline to really uh, kind of apply these in your life. You do if you want to make the... If it, if, Yes. Look, we all need some discipline. What the right. question? Yeah. Yes. And, uh, you're a hundred percent right about that. Um, so can you set yourself up for success and say, okay, I'm at the start of my day. How am I going to set myself up for success? Again, I'm not looking for perfection. Mm. I'm looking for how am I going to tend to myself today? And even if you just picked one thing, right. Um, but to your point, we do need to think about who we want to be and how we want to feel. Otherwise, it's very difficult to right. achieve our goals. So even just taking baby steps in the beginning, even that can make, can make a huge difference. I think the baby steps throughout your life is what makes the big difference. You know, I, mm. I, I believe in small steps that lead to big change and doing them consistently more than I believe in massive lifestyle swings, hacking your body and, you know, hacking your life because I, I've done that. And though you may have these moments of big highs with that, very few of us sustain that over the long haul and longevity is about the long haul. It's about the actions that you do consistently over time. It's not mm -hmm. about these big swings and spikes. Right. Well, Chris, where, where are you right now in your grieving process? How are you feeling today? You know, the thing about grief is it, I lost my father to almost three years ago. And I, 
I write about some of the other big losses in my life in this book. And there are a lot of stories in the book because I think it's it's good to teach through stories because we can see ourselves in other people's stories. And the pain isn't as great as the day that any of these things happen. My pain is not as great as the day as I was diagnosed with cancer 20 years ago. But there's still places of pain and there's still holes in my heart. And that's okay too. But now there's new experiences around them. There's new joys around them. There's new people in my life that bring me excitement and joy to be around them. There's new peace around them. And so going back to the idea that we can't amputate any of our emotions and expect to be whole, grief is a part of me, just like my lungs are a part of me. And that is okay. Chris, thank you so much. This has been such a profoundly insightful uh, conversation. And I'm sure that many of our listeners will appreciate and really connect with, with your story. So thank you for offering us comfort uh, with your insights and revelations. Thank you for having me. So Chris Carr's book, I'm Not a Morning Person, Braving Loss, Grief, and the Big Messy Emotions That Happen When Life Falls Apart is now available wherever books are sold. And if you want to learn more about Chris's uh, other books, her events and products, you can visit her website, chriscarr.com. The link will be in the description. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.